So 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 1 to 22. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Apostles, And at last he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they... This is what we preached, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Second reading is also from 1 Corinthians, but going down uh, in chapter 15 to verses 50 to 58. So I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be, imperishable, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable have been, has been clothed, clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. 
Then came the morning that sealed that promise. That buried body that was called Jesus Christ began to breathe again. And out of the silence, that roaring lion who's called Jesus Christ, he rose victorious. And he declared, he declared that the grave, death, has no claim. It has no place, has no hold over us. Do you believe that? In Jesus Christ, we have this victory. That's why we're here today. We are here to celebrate that the tomb was empty, the grave was open, that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He was raised. And he stands victorious. He reigns victorious. He's here with us this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. I wanted to celebrate this morning, this, this Resurrection Sunday. So please grab a seat. I want to share a story. It was a, a Tuesday afternoon in 1991. 23rd of April, 1991. And I had never experienced anything like it. really hadn't. We sang, we prayed, we talked, we, we laughed. And there was this, this joy in the room, this palpable joy. And I just didn't understand it. Because I was at a funeral. I was at a funeral and I'd never experienced such joy before. I spoke to a friend of mine. I, I'd become a Christian about a year before. And I remember saying, I just don't get it. Why was there so much joy in that room today? I've been to many funerals before. My grandfather's, my own father's. I'd even read 1 Corinthians 15 at my own father's funeral. I just didn't get it. And David said to me these, these, these three words, four words, because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, that's why there's joy. He said to me, Paul, Barbara's not dead. She's alive. Barbara is with Jesus in glory. She has a, a new body awaiting her. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no cancer for her anymore. She's alive. And that changes everything. And that was my aha moment for the resurrection. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Yes, he died for our sins, but more than that, he rose again. Death has been defeated. We don't fear death. We don't enjoy dying, but we don't fear death. Because for those who believe, we have the promise, the hope of glorious resurrection bodies. Uh, that, that, that truth has been such a, a comfort to me in the last year. Uh, for those who know us, we, 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 I've lost three significant men in my life in the last nine months. Uh, my stepfather, Roy, passed away suddenly in the UK last May. I didn't get the chance to see him and say goodbye. But he was a believer, and so there is joy knowing that he's with Jesus, and I'll see him again. And then in June, Rachel's dad, Peter, died battling Parkinson's for many, many years, and Parkinson's is a horrible disease. It robs you of your eyesight, of your mind, of your mobility. But he's a believer. He's with Jesus. With his new mind and new body, that is better by far. In, in December, Graham passed away. That is Rachel's father-in-law from her first marriage. We're going to scatter his ashes tomorrow. But he's a believer. 
And so in the midst of sadness, there's, there's absolute joy because he's with Jesus, new mind, new bodies, certain hope, and that transforms everything. So let me ask you, what, what do you believe happens after you die? It was Job who says, once a man dies, will he live again? What do you believe happens when you die? You can avoid death, you can avoid talking about death, but in many ways COVID has put death back on the agenda, hasn't it? What do you believe happens? You've got to answer that question. Will you live again? Will you have a new body and a new mind and a new hope because of Jesus? The pro golfer Paul Azinger was diagnosed with cancer just aged 33. He wrote this. A genuine feeling of fear came over me. I could die from this cancer. But then another reality hit me even harder. I'm going to die eventually anyway, whether from cancer or something else. I'm definitely going to die. It's just a question of when. But everything I had accomplished to golf in, in golf became meaningless to me at that moment. All I wanted to do was to live. And then I remembered something that Larry Moody, the man who taught the Bible study on the golfing pro tour, said to me. He said, Zinga, we're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. No, we're in the land of the dying heading towards the land of the living. Believe in Jesus and you'll be there too. So do you believe that? I've got three words for you this Easter there's three, three words to take home. The first, is, first word is the word truth. Resurrection truth. Christ was raised. That is fact. That is history. I love the story of the, the five-year-old boy who's with his parents watching the passion play, the life of Jesus play. And he gets to the bit about the cross, and this five-year-old boy goes very quiet, goes, looks very sad, and starts to cry. And then before him on the stage, the the stone is rolled away and Jesus appears and this five-year-old boy just shouts, Mummy, he's alive! Jesus is alive! And he jumps up and down in the street and goes, he's alive! Out of the mouth of babes, yes. Are you excited that he's alive? Are you excited that Jesus was raised? It is true. This is the most historical truth. In our passage, 1 Corinthians 15, if you've got a Bible, open it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is the most important news you will ever hear. Verse 3, that Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures. So Jesus really did die on Good Friday. He was beaten, flogged, crucified, had a spear through his side. Do not tell me that Jesus never died. He just revived in that tomb. He was dead. For your sins, says Paul, on behalf of your sins, to pay for your sins so that you won't have to. That was Friday. That was true. Verse 4, that Christ was buried. They, they, they put his body in a tomb. That was very unusual. A, a crucified man was normally just put on a mass grave outside the city. But, but Jesus... He was laid in the tomb, the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. When you hear the word tomb, uh, please don't think hole in the ground. Think a, a, a cave, a rock, uh, a bit in a cave with a stone rolled across it. 
That is true. He died, he was buried, but here's the glorious Easter Sunday truth. Verse 4, that he was raised. Christ was raised bodily on the third day, on that Sunday, according to the Scriptures, just as he said he would. Now, if you're a skeptic here this morning, can I say there is so much evidence for the resurrection? A professor of modern history at Oxford University said this, no one fact in the history of mankind is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ died and Christ rose from the dead. It's true. The tomb was empty. Now, please don't tell me the women went to the wrong tomb. They knew exactly which tomb they were going to. Please don't tell me someone stole the body. The robbers didn't steal the body. The disciples didn't steal the body. The authorities didn't steal the body. Jesus was raised. The body wasn't there. I, I don't know whether you ever lost a loved one. But if you lost a loved one, the, the grave is a really important place for you. <laughs> to go to a place and you feel close to your loved one, and you often take flowers or you sometimes take a photograph or light a candle, it's a significant place. There is not a shred of evidence that anybody went back to that tomb after the resurrection. Because Jesus wasn't there. The body wasn't there. He's alive. According to Paul, verse 5, Jesus appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. You can read about that in the gospel, that, that Jesus appeared to Peter. He ate breakfast with Peter after the resurrection. Verse 5, he appeared to the 12. You know that story, the, the 12 disciples were in a, a room that was locked. They were, they were fearful for the Jews. They were scared and Jesus appeared. The risen Lord Jesus appeared before them. Except Thomas wasn't there. Love Thomas, the doubting Thomas. He said, unless I see the, the nail marks in his hands, unless I could touch that, I will not believe. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, appears to, to Thomas. And before he touches him, he says, my Lord and my God. Verse 6, he then appears to, look at this, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, 500 people in a crowd, and Jesus appeared to them. Most of whom are still living, says Paul, though some have fallen asleep, some have already died. But if you want evidence, go and talk to these people because they were still alive when Paul wrote this. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, the man who was beheaded for believing in the resurrection. Then to all the apostles, and then last of all, to the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul, the murderer, the man whose life's mission was to obliterate Christianity and to destroy the church until that day when he's walking down the Damascus road and the sun is blazing and his voice comes from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that's the day he met the risen Lord Jesus and his life was turned around. And the apostle Paul went from being a murderer to a missionary, from persecutor to a preacher. This is true. Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised. Charles Colson became a believer after Watergate. He said this, I know the resurrection is true, and Watergate proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, and those 12 men proclaimed that truth for 40 years, not denying it even once. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put to prison. 
They would not have endured that if it was not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and those 12 men could not keep alive for just three weeks. And you're trying to tell me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. I want us to imagine for one moment. Imagine that this is not true. Imagine that Christ was not raised. Does it really matter? It matters. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, says Paul, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If Christ was not raised, this is just a book of lies. If Christ was not raised, the apostle Paul and Peter and James and every other preacher for the rest of history should give up their day job. I could earn far more money being a motivational speaker than I do being a Christian pastor. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. If there's no resurrection, you will stand before God one day and give an account of your sins by yourself. Your debts have not been paid. Verse 18 is a horrific verse. If there's no resurrection, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, they are lost. Death is the end. There is no afterlife. You will never see them again. And verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It really bugs me when people say to me, Paul, I know that you believe this. It's nice for you. It makes you happy. No, it's true. If this is not true... You and I should be pitied. We are fools. We are idiots. We're laughable. We've fallen for the biggest hoax in human history. If this is not true, why waste your time with this thing called church? Why are you here if it's not true? Why sit here week after week singing old or modern songs and reading an old book? Why bother? Why bother praying? Why bother being nice? Why bother following? Why bother? If this is not true, I reckon all of us here should just, just get out now and go to Balmoral Beach or just go and have brunch with your family and friends or go sailing on the harbour. If this is not true, here's an idea. Let's close these doors, let's sell this building and turn it into a Pilates stadium or a yoga studio or to a restaurant. If it's not true, what are we doing here? If this is not true, we are laughable and we should be pitied. Have you got it? If Christ was not raised... There's no Christianity, there's no hope, there's no forgiveness, there's no life after death, there's no point. But, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised. Hallelujah. And just because you didn't see it, or just because you can't imagine it, doesn't mean it didn't happen. Can you imagine for a moment that you have never, ever, ever heard of or seen a baby being born? And someone just tried to describe that to you. And they said to you, oh, it goes a bit like this. You have this tiny invisible sperm that you can't see and this tiny, tiny egg that, again, you can't really see with a naked eye. And those two come together and they form a cell and it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies and it grows inside a woman's uterus for nine months and suddenly out pops arms and legs and kidneys and livers and this baby somehow comes out of this woman and it has eyelashes and it has ears and it has toenails. And you're like, that's impossible. <laughs> Just because you haven't personally seen it doesn't mean it's impossible. 
So why don't you believe? Is it arrogance? Is it pride? Is it apathy? No, there's truth. He was raised. Number two, there's hope. Resurrection hope. Because Christ was raised, we will be raised. There's hope. That's our second word, hope. Remember the words of Billy Graham at his own funeral? He wrote this for his own funeral. I love that. I might do it for myself. Uh, Someday you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of my God. I love that. New address with our God, with our new bodies, with our resurrection bodies, and more alive than ever before. That's what's brought me comfort and hope this last year. Roy has a new mind. Peter has a new body. Graham is with his God, with his wife Penny, with his son Ben. They're with Jesus. Because of verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. It's an Old Testament word. It just means a portion now to guarantee the future. It's a bit like a tasting place before a wedding banquet. banquet. It's a bit like the, the previews on Apple TV. You look, you look at the preview to get an idea for what the, the movie is going to be like. But when Jesus was raised as the first fruits, he guarantees the resurrection bodies of billions of other people since. He was raised, so I will be raised. Death wasn't the end for Jesus. It will not be the end for me. If God did it for Jesus, he'll do it for me. That's my hope. Resurrection hope with new bodies. How would you describe your body? I know that some of us here love our bodies. Spend far too much time working on their bodies. Other of us, I think, are more realistic. I think our bodies are frail and they're fragile. Just this last year, I've sat with a child diagnosed with leukemia, Mary with her liver failure, Ron on dialysis, Sarah struggling to breathe, Lizzie with her chronic pain, Sam with his cancer, Joe with her back, and a man with a brain tumor. Our bodies are frail, they're fragile. We get a common cold, don't we? And we, we have a blocked up nose or we get a headache and we think that we're dying. Whether it's a common cold or whether it's cancer. Just this reminder that these bodies of ours, they're not perfect. They're decaying. And let me tell you, it sucks to grow old. As you get older, you end up having these things because your eyesight starts to fail and your hearing starts to go and your hair starts to fall out and your bowels don't work as well as they should and your <laughs> bladder goes and and to be honest, everything starts, the three words are, I think, sagging, drooping, and wrinkles. <laughs> it's just this reminder that these bodies, they're not perfect. And I don't know about you, but I actually long for a, a new body, a perfect body. And that's a promise here. I love verses 35 to 39. It wasn't read, but let, let me read it to you. Someone will ask you, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be. You just plant a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. 
But God gives us a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body. My kids are kind of obsessed with those little seeds from Woolworths. Have you seen those things? And you plant this seed into this cold, dark soil, and just a few days later, this green sprout appears, and they go, wow, that's amazing. It's just this picture, you know, you, you plant an apple seed, and out of the apple seed comes an apple tree. You don't plant the apple tree, you just plant the seed. You don't plant the mustard tree, you just plant the mustard seed. Same with you and I. One day, this seed, this body of mine, will be, will be put in the ground. I want to be buried, not cremated, but that's okay. I'll be buried, and this body will rot, or, or some bodies will be burned, but as we're put in the ground and our bodies start to decompose and rot, that's like the seed that has been put in the ground so that God, in his almighty power, his extraordinary power, can create these new resurrection bodies. Now, do you believe that God can do that? Do you? I do. Now, if God can create Adam from the dust of the ground, he can create this perfect body for me when my body dies. If God can create fish, that can breathe perfectly underwater and birds that can fly in the sky, he can take this, this seed of a body and create this extraordinary new resurrection body. Do you believe that? I don't know about you, but I actually don't want this body of mine just to be touched up a bit. You know, I actually want to have the perfect heart and the perfect hair and the perfect skin and the perfect everything. I want the perfect, glorious resurrection body. That's what God promises you. It's there in verse 52. We had it read. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. So there's no decaying anymore. No sagging, no drooping, no wrinkling. will be changed. The imperishable must be clothed itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. So we're going to have a body that will never die again. That's what I long for. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a place where there is no anxiety and no arthritis and no cancer and no COVID, no disease, no depression, no diabetes, no dementia, no heart attacks, no HIV, no mental health struggles, no migraines, no sickness, no sadness, no strokes, no suffering. It's not now. It will be then. That's my hope. Remember Lazarus who was raised after four days. Doesn't matter if you're dead for four days, four weeks, four years, four millennia. God can do it and God will do it. And that's my hope. So we've got truth, we've got hope. And more briefly, our last word today is victory. We have victory because the The resurrection is not just about a past event or a future promise. The resurrection is actually about a present reality, the present power of the resurrection that's at work in you and through you today. Easter's not just about a historical event that gives you a ticket into a future heaven. It's not just waiting now for those perfect bodies. The same power that raised Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago is living in you today. If you're a believer, that's extraordinary. The Spirit of God comes to live in you and you get to experience the resurrection of power of Jesus every single day of your life. 
I love the, the Muslim who spoke to the Christian and said this, we Muslims have one thing you Christians don't have. When we go to Medina in Saudi Arabia, we find a coffin there and we know that Muhammad lived because we have his body in that coffin. But when you go to Jerusalem, you find nothing but an empty tomb. And the Christian said this, thank you so much. What you say is so true. And that's what makes the eternal difference. The reason we find an empty tomb is we, don't, we do not serve a dead man. We serve a risen, living, glorious saviour. That's why Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us a victory. We live a victorious life as Christians. We don't live a mundane, boring, dutiful life. We live a victorious life. We live a life where we are guaranteed victory over death, and so we don't fear death anymore. I've got a new meaning for the word COVID. Christ, our victor in death. Next time you hear the word COVID, Christ, our victor in death. Say, take that death. Stuff you, death. You have no power over me. You have victory over grief. I know there are people in this room today who are grieving, who have grieved. And grief is a terrible thing. But we grieve with hope. We grieve with assurance and certainty and victory because of the resurrection. Someone said Christ broke up every funeral service he ever attended because death could not exist where Christ was. If Christ is in you, you grieve so differently. And you have victory over life. You live a purposeful, meaningful life. Verse 58, my brothers and sisters, let nothing move you. Don't be swayed. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That's your purpose. That's your reason for living, to serve, to honor, and to magnify Jesus because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't know how God might use you this year by the power of his spirit to serve him and to work for him and to bring others to glory. I had the privilege on Friday, Good Friday, of praying a prayer with a man who came from death to life. Maybe God will use you this year in that way. The Spirit is in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. We don't serve a dead Savior, but a living, risen, glorious, reigning Savior. So then came the morning that sealed that promise, and his buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, out of the silence, the roaring lion, that's the risen, reigning Lord Jesus. What did, he, what did he declare? The grave has no claim. Stuff you, death. And Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. I'm going to celebrate that by taking communion together. Normally at communion we look back we look back on the death of Jesus. Today we're going to look forward. We're going to look forward to our... Can we, if we don't open them for one moment, we're going to open them together. So let's stop opening them. Make such a noise. Let's, let's just grab your, grab your thing and let's do it together. So grab your thing on the count of three. One, two, three, go. Awesome. If you haven't got a communion cup, just raise your hand and Richard or Elaine will bring one to you. If you're here today as a believer in Christ, I'm going to invite you to stand at this moment. All of us stand. All of us stand. This is a symbol 
of Christ's body that was broken. But what is the shape of this? It's like a stone. The stone that was rolled away. So if you're here today as a believer in Christ, take and eat this, rejoicing that death has been defeated, that Christ is risen, and that you have the hope of eternal life. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus shed blood on, that, blood on that cross as a guarantee that our sins have been forgiven. We are no longer in our sins. Christ has risen. We don't fear death, but we long for that eternal life. We say, come, Lord Jesus. So drink this and be thankful. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you that we don't serve a dead saviour, but a living saviour. Thank you for the, the truth of that and the hope that it brings. We long, Father, for those perfect resurrection bodies. We pray for anybody here this morning who is grieving in any way. And I pray by the power of your spirit that you would shine hope and comfort into their lives. And send us from this place this morning to labor for you to live those victorious lives. And we ask that for Jesus' sake.